If you've been with us this Advent, you know we're going through a series on the rest of Christmas. That we find ourselves, as almost we do every year, somehow Christmas sneaks up on us. <laughs> we're so tired. I don't know about you, but this being the fourth Sunday in Advent, so tired from all the preparation and planning, and we find ourselves restless. The great irony is that God has sent Jesus to be a rest for our weary souls. This morning, we're not only looking at Jesus Christ, but we're looking at the rest that comes, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. We have three different passages to read together this morning, so would you please stand for reading of God's word. I'll begin reading in Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah writes, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now Luke chapter one, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. He came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And Mary said to angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. Now, Acts 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Be Please be seated. Every year I'm surprised just how early Christmas decorations go up in our city. Earlier and earlier, it seems, department stores and, and our neighborhoods, people are putting up Christmas lights. Because I'm a bit stubborn and kind of a curmudgeon, I refused this year to put up any Christmas decorations before Thanksgiving. The only problem with that is Thanksgiving kind of came late, and it made the Christmas season shorter. Not only that, but we spent Thanksgiving with my in-laws in Atlanta, and we were actually gone the first Sunday in Advent. And so there we were, the second Sunday in Advent, so far behind, trying to put up Christmas decorations and lights and all the different things that come with the Christmas season. I don't know about you, but of all the Christmas decorations, one of my favorite is the manger scene, the nativity. We have like four or five in our house. I'm sure you have many as well. We have some for our kids and, and some for us, some that have been given as gifts over the years. But you see, this thing about a manger scene, as beautiful as they are, 
is that they're a bit misleading. Now, I promise I'm not trying to ruin Christmas for you. I just want us to be honest for a second about a nativity scene. You see, the first thing you got to know is that the wise men, okay, they weren't actually there, at least not at the manger. They came much later. And we don't actually know if there were three. We assume there were because that's what the song says, but the Bible never actually says if there were two or three or five. And yet there they are at our nativity scenes, three kings and camels. But you see, the thing that's most misleading about a manger scene is the way that it captures our imagination about who was there and what it was like. And the thing that's most misleading is not who a manger scene says was there, but who is not there. The person who's not there in our nativity scenes. See, when you think of a nativity scene, you think of a manger scene, you think of Mary and Joseph. You think of shepherds and sheep and you think of the angels. And yes, you think of three wise men and camels. But what you don't think of is the Holy Spirit. It's often said that the Holy Spirit is the forgotten member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It could also be said that the Holy Spirit is the forgotten member of the Christmas story. You see, because the Gospel of Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit is not just one of the characters of the Christmas story, but he is the main character. And so in this Advent season, as Christmas approaches, we need to expand our imaginations. Perhaps we need a new understanding of what the Christmas story is all about. You see, the person and presence and power of the Holy Spirit takes center stage at the incarnation. And this morning, I want you to begin to see just how vital the Holy Spirit is, not just at Christmas, but also in the life of Jesus and his death and resurrection and why that matters for you and me and our weary souls. The first way I want to look at this, I want us to see the rest of the Holy Spirit in the birth of Jesus. Look with me at Luke chapter one. It's there in your bulletin, verse 26. We're told that the angel Gabriel came to Mary. In verse 27, we're told to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. What, what I want you to notice right out of the gate is that Luke is very quick to point out that Mary was a virgin. In fact, he mentions it twice in just one verse. Why? because it's an incredibly important detail. Luke is connecting the dots of the Bible for us. He's wanting us to recognize that the birth of Jesus is unlike any other birth in human history, that this is the birth that the world was waiting for. This was the birth that Isaiah foretold in his prophecy. Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. And so Luke is going out of his way to say, look, this is Mary. She's a virgin. 
And the child that she will give birth to is the long-awaited Messiah. He is the Savior King. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And so Luke continues, verse 28. We're told that the angel says to Mary, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I think sometimes, if you've grown up in church at all, it's easy to kind of blow past the different details in the Bible, especially at Christmas. If you've grown up in church, you've heard this story before. You've seen the manger scene. You have some idea of the virgin birth. And so you'll just move straight past a detail like she was greatly troubled. I want us to stop for just a second. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Mary? She was being greeted by an angel, the angel Gabriel, no less. She's greatly troubled in her heart. She is afraid. And so to give Mary rest, listen to what the angel says. Verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. What did the angel tell Mary in order to calm her troubled heart? You're going to be a mom. <laughs> She's already afraid. And here the angel is saying, you're going to get pregnant. Not only are you going to get pregnant, but you're not married yet. And your fiance is not the father. <laughs> now imagine how afraid she must have been. Here she is, hearing for the first time that she is going to conceive and bear a son and call his name Jesus. I wonder, do you still have a sense of awe and mystery when you think of the Christmas story? Or has it become just too cultural for you, too commonplace? There is nothing commonplace about this. Mary, a virgin, is being told that she's going to give birth to the Messiah. That should fill us with awe and wonder and maybe even just a little bit of doubt. Because if we're going to be honest, we have to ask ourselves, how can that be? How could a virgin give birth to a son? This is the question that Mary asked the angel in verse 34. She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? It's impossible. It's unbelievable. And it should fill us with wonder and awe. See, the truth is the virgin birth is scandalous. Not just scandalous because what it meant for Mary and Joseph, who are not yet married, but scandalous because it's an impossibility. It does not fit into what we know of the ordinary working world. This is a question that's posed by an ex-pastor named Rob Bell in a book called Velvet Elvis. It's a great title. I want you to listen to what Rob Bell says. 
He says, what if tomorrow someone digs up definitive proof that Jesus has a real earthly biological father named Larry? And archaeologists find Larry's tomb and do DNA samples and prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that the virgin birth was really just a bit of mythologizing. He goes on and says, I affirm the historic Christian faith, which includes the virgin birth and much more. But if faith falls apart when we re-examine and rethink one thing, then it wasn't that strong in the first place, was it? Okay, so what is Rob Bell saying? He's saying, look, let's just suppose for a second that it's proved that the virgin birth is not true. He's saying it doesn't really matter. He's saying that faith is bigger than that, isn't it? That surely something like the virgin birth should not shake the foundations of our Christian faith. Brothers and sisters, friends, what I want you to see this morning is the virgin birth is that important. It's everything. It's where our faith begins. Because when we think and believe in the virgin birth, we're not just thinking and believing this thing that happened to Mary. But to believe in the virgin birth is to believe in the power and work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, for Mary to give birth to a son when she was a virgin is impossible. And that's why it requires the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was conceived unlike you or me. He was conceived not by the will of man, but by the will of God through the power and presence and person of the Holy Spirit. When we think of the Holy Spirit, we think of his name. In Hebrew and in Greek, his name means breath or wind. It's a powerful image, especially when we think about his work throughout the Bible. There the Holy Spirit was, the breath, the wind of God hovering over the face of the deep at creation. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit was there in the Exodus, leading the people of God through the wilderness. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit was there in the tabernacle, overwhelming and overshadowing the people of God as they worshiped. And here in the Gospel of Luke, we see that the events surrounding the birth of Jesus are dominated by the person and work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit rested upon John the Baptist when he was in his mother's womb. That's Luke 1, verse 15. Luke 1, 41 tells us that that same Holy Spirit then rested upon John's mother, Elizabeth. Though she was barren, she gave birth to John. That same Holy Spirit then came and rested upon John's father, Zechariah. That same Holy Spirit then came to a man named Simeon just after Jesus was born. That Holy Spirit told Simeon that he would not die before he saw the promised Messiah. And here in our passage this morning, the Holy Spirit came and rested upon a virgin named Mary and she conceived 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. I want you to look with me at verse 35. The angel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The word overshadow is so difficult for us to really translate into the English language. To be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit is to be completely surrounded by him, to be overcome with him, so much so that the Spirit has rested upon us. The Spirit rested upon Mary so that the impossible might be made possible. Wherever the Spirit is at work in the Bible, we see the Spirit breathing life into dead things. The Spirit breathed life into Elizabeth's barren womb, and she gave birth to John. And here we see the Holy Spirit bringing the life of all lives, the very Son of God, into a virgin's womb, so that life might bring new life to you and me. So we see the Holy Spirit intimately at work in the incarnation in Jesus' birth. But second, we also see the rest of the Holy Spirit in the work of Jesus in his life and in his ministry. The Gospel of Luke continues and tells us how the Holy Spirit was there at every step of Jesus' ministry here on earth. We see this. Luke 3, 22, at his baptism, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. We see this when Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit, Luke chapter 4, to be tempted by the devil. And when Jesus was victorious and he withstood that temptation, Luke 4, 14 tells us that Jesus returned in power by the Spirit to Galilee. Luke 4, verse 18 when Jesus started his public ministry here on earth, he declared the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 11, which there in your bulletin, it was our first reading this morning, promises what the Messiah would be like Isaiah 11 verse 2 tells us that the spirit of the Lord would rest upon him. Just as the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, the Holy Spirit overshadowed Jesus. There was nothing that Jesus did on earth that he did without the intimate presence and power of the Holy Spirit. One of the early church fathers, St. Basil, put it this way. He said, the Holy Spirit was present from the first in the flesh of the Lord Jesus, and he is his inseparable companion. I love that. Then the whole of Christ's activity developed is in the power of the Holy Spirit. Basil is saying that the Holy Spirit was the inseparable companion of Jesus Christ in his incarnation. Everything that Jesus did, he did through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. 
Apostle Peter put it this way in the book of Acts. He said, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. The Spirit was Jesus's inseparable companion. Okay, why does that matter? Why does it matter that we have a Trinitarian understanding? Well, to believe in Jesus is to believe in the Trinity. That means to be a Christian, it doesn't just mean that we believe that Jesus was a man who lived, but it means we believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father sent the Son because he loved the world so much so that whoever would believe in him would have life. Together the Father and the Son then sent the Holy Spirit to you and to me so that the same power of the Holy Spirit that was at work in the Virgin Mary and then at work in the life and ministry of Jesus would now be at work in you and in me. I think in a post-Reformation world, we sometimes cheapen grace. We do that because we want to be protective to the truth that we're saved through faith alone and not by works. We want to make sure that we all are on the same page, that we understand that none of us is righteous. No, not one. Not me, not you. That none of us do good. And that we are in desperate need of the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection for our salvation. But because of that, which is absolutely true, sometimes we can cheapen grace. We can give license to sin. What this looks like is sometimes the assumption that, well, look, I'm, I'm just gonna sin anyways. Look, this side of heaven, I'm never gonna be fully holy, and so why even bother? God's gonna forgive me anyways. Isn't that, after all, why he sent us Jesus? But you see, the wonder of the incarnation and the work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life shows us what holiness looks like. And not only that, but it tells us that the Holy Spirit is powerful, powerful enough to make a bunch of unholy sinners like you and me new again. When we think about Jesus and his person, we think he's fully God and fully man. So there are many of his attributes that are divine. Characteristics and qualities of his character that we could never aspire to because he is God and we are not. But the incarnation tells us that he wasn't just fully God, he is also fully man. Which means there are characteristics and qualities of his humanity that are a foretaste of what our humanity will one day be like, fully sanctified and fully holy. So when we imagine Jesus and we read the Gospels and we think of his character and quality, and we see that he was loving and joyful, that he was patient and kind, that he was good and faithful and gentle and full of self-control, we must recognize that these qualities are not merely divine qualities, these are human qualities that were given to him by the power of the Holy Spirit. How do I know? Because they're exact same qualities that were promised in the book of Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit. 
The fruit of the Spirit gives us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So as we see the powerful work of the Holy Spirit and the life and ministry of Jesus, we get a vision of not just one day of what is promised to us. We get a vision of what God is doing in us right now. So the last thing, the last thing I want us to see, I want us to see the rest of the Holy Spirit and the power of Christ. As you hear those attributes, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, as you hear those, I wonder if you're like me this morning and rather hearing them as a promise of what is for all those in Christ, you really hear that as a list of condemnation. I wonder this Christmas season, just how patient have you been? Has your impatience been exposed as you've sat in line? Or as like me yesterday, being at North Park Mall, the Saturday before Christmas Eve, trying to order something online and the internet doesn't work because there's so many people in the building find ourselves impatient or in a season that's supposed to fill us with joy do you find yourself sorrowful and joyless though we are called to embody the love of Christ to love God and love one another have you been exposed this Christmas season like me failing to love those God has entrusted us to love As we think of the fruit of the spirit, we see just how far the gap really is. Perhaps for you, you feel that gap. You feel that gap deeply and it's wearing you out. See, I believe that's what makes us ultimately the most restless. Is when deep down in our humanity, made in the image of God, when we're the most honest, we recognize that we are not living as if We were his image bearers. Perhaps for you this morning, that's true whether you believe in God or not, and yet you feel this gap, this sense of emptiness in your soul. Perhaps many others of you, you you do believe in Jesus, you do believe in God, you do believe in the gospel, and yet you still feel this angst of what you know Christ has called you to and what you are failing time and time again. Friends, I want you to hear the good news of the incarnation and the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke 1.35 tells us that the power of the Most High overshadowed Mary. The power of the Holy Spirit rested on Mary. And then in Acts 1.8, we are told that that same power, the power of the Holy Spirit has now rested upon us. What that means is that the same Holy Spirit that put Jesus Christ into the womb of a virgin, the same Holy Spirit that then rose Jesus Christ from the dead, that same Spirit has now taken up rest upon your weary souls. 
And so the truth is believing in the virgin birth is impossible. Believing in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is impossible. Coming up with this list of attributes of patience and love and joy and gentleness and faithfulness is impossible without the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of John tells of a man named Nicodemus who asks Jesus how we might be born again. How how does that happen? How can we believe in Jesus? How can we receive the good news? How can we trust not only in the virgin birth, but also in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Jesus says, you must be born again. And the only way you can be born again is by the power of the Holy Spirit. This Christmas, my prayer for you and me is that we would see the Holy Spirit as the main character of the Christmas story. And we would see that this is good news for our weary souls. Because the same Spirit who came upon Mary and conceived our Savior Jesus Christ so that he might be born, that same Spirit is now at work in you and me so that we might be born again too. So we might have faith and trust in the good news that Christ is coming and he will come again. And that we might bear something of the fruit of the spirit, this side of heaven, as we are conformed more and more into the image of the son, our savior, Jesus Christ. Would you please pray with me? Our father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, for our salvation. And we thank you for sending us the Holy Spirit. And so with humility this morning, we pray, Holy Spirit, please come. This Christmas season, we pray that you would fill our hearts. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fill our church. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come upon our city, come upon our world, that we might bear witness to the power and work of the Spirit through the death and resurrection of the Son. We pray in his strong name. Amen.